0: Time now for the nationally syndicated radio show, The World of Lori Zook. And now, here she is, the smart, the sexy, the
1: savvy, Divine Miss C. And welcome to the show. Got a great show lined up today. My guest is Aaron Clary. Now, Aaron has written many books, and today we're going to discuss one that I found so interesting, I read it in two days. It's called The Curse of the High IQ, and I recently had the privilege of meeting Aaron recently. So, welcome to the show, Aaron.
2: Hello, Laurie. Thank you for having me.
1: Now, Aaron, you're welcome, and I want to read the About the Author on the back of your book, because you're so funny. It (laughs) says, after 15 years in banking, Aaron Clary learned that work sucks, life is short, and was not meant to be spent in a cube suffering idiot bosses. Instead, he decided to pursue a career in ballroom dancing, booze, chasing skirts, motorcycle riding, and hedonism. Ironically, this led to almost legitimate work as an author and consultant. But Aaron only pursues this newfound career half-heartedly in order to continue his hedonistic lifestyle. He will, however, put it all on hold to enjoy ice cream with his niece. So I thought that was a, a great thing. It's, you're very different than most authors. I think you pretty much just say it as it is, and that's what I like. So let's start with a little bit of background on you. Tell me about yourself, who you are, and what you've accomplished.
2: Uh, well, I, I accidentally fell into the authorship uh, deal. I was originally a, a banker, an economist. I uh, went to school for finance and economics and worked in banking for about 20 years and uh with the and it even predates the housing bubble but with the uh, the dot com bubble I, I started noticing that uh, nobody in the financial services industry pays attention to sanity or realism. It's all about making money, making sales, making commission. Right. And uh, so there's very little genuine financial analysis there. So then that kind of accidentally led me into writing my first book about predicting the housing bubble. And uh, I, I kind of, because of my personality and nature, just kind of rammed heads. I'm not I'm not a great soldier. Uh, so I, I I found much more fertile grounds becoming an author and just kind of writing about topics that were. Not necessarily politically incorrect, but certainly maybe contrarian uh, to whatever the, the current media is saying.
1: Right. And I, and I agree with that. People, they all just seem to want to go with the flow, even if the flow is in the wrong direction of what's actually happening.
2: Oh, yeah. No, there's, there's, it's a huge lemming. I mean, I've, I've often wished I would have become Oprah and just sold lies <laughs> for a living because it's really hard to sell truth. But there, there's a market. There's a market for truth. People are hungry for it. They're a very loyal audience, and, and that's kind of the, the niche I kind of carved out. But, uh, oh, yeah, you could you can make billions of dollars selling lies.
1: Yeah, I can't do that. I'm too honest. But let me, <laughs> yeah, let, let me talk about your curse of the high IQ because I came across an article about you in the book uh, several weeks ago, and I, I thought the article was so well written that I ordered the book and I, from Amazon and I read it in two days. I mean it's not a huge book but it's a good book and I went, wow, this explains my life. Like, I feel like I know this guy who wrote this book because it explains like a lot of things people will tell me. Well, I'm smart and I'm quirky and I don't quite fit in even though I do have a lot of friends. I'm different type personality. And when, that, when I read the book, I went, geez, this would be a great topic. That's how we ended up getting in, in touch. And then when you were in Florida a couple of weeks ago, we had the, the privilege of meeting. And so I want to ask you, how did you learn that you were high IQ and how did that affect you throughout your life?
2: Well, it, it, it unfortunately it really didn't. I mean, I found out relatively early I had a high IQ um, back probably when I was 20. I actually took a test. Uh, it was online through Queendom and and you know, it's online, whatever, okay. And then I, I scored really high. I think it was like 138, 139 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even after that, it's like, oh, you got this really high IQ. Y- you don't digest it. You don't incorporate it into your thinking. And even knowing full well the concept of the Bell distribution curve and standard deviation and, you know, okay, if you got two standard deviations to the right, you're kind of a freak. You never knew it. It didn't like, it, it, genius were the people. Those are the kids that got straight A's and they went to Harvard. Those were who, who were the geniuses in my world. And I was just this average guy who was kind of smart. Um, but it it really wasn't until I was in my 30s and uh, the housing bubble cr- uh, crashed and all of a sudden I was proven right that I realized holy cow, I'm not insane. Uh, matter of
1: fact, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm the
2: only guy. What's with me and Peter Schiff and all these other guys? Why are we right? Why are we the minority of the voices? And that kind of sent me down the path. It wasn't until, in other words, I empirically lived being a statistical freak and seeing myself proven right that I say, well, wait, what's going on? And then I started researching and investigating, okay, uh, what, what percentage of a statistical oddity are you with certain types of IQs? And then that that, that let me down. And then how has it affected me? I, it's, it's made my life a lot easier. I understand things now. I know the lay of the land. I mean, some problems aren't solved. But the serenity and sanity that comes with simply knowing you're a high IQ person, that 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 right there is worth a good night's sleep.
1: OK. Now, is it you, based on what you found with yourself that inspired you to write the book?
2: It was, it was that, but more my friends, like, I, we're, we were getting a little bit older and, and all of a sudden, like, we're really kicking it in life. We're really, we're doing really well. And, but then I, all my friends, there there was always some kind of dark or dour or macabre aspect to them. You know, I have plenty of alcoholic friends and then some <laughs> depressed friends. There's right. always something you know, like, how can you be depressed? You make a quarter million a year. You have a boat. You have a plane. Why are any of you depressed or, or sad or what's, what's with this, this, this drawback? And then you find out, okay, it's because they can't find like-minded people. They're usually lonely. They're by themselves. Even though you're in a downtown, say, like, I got a buddy who's in Phoenix. Former CIA, former military military gal. She is basically a counter-hacker. She makes 300,000 a year, and she's sad and lonely. Well, why? Even though in a population of 4 million, well, because there's very few people that can relate to her. So it's those kind of oddities and, and, and anecdotal stories of freaks of nature that kind of said, "Oh, ha! Here, here it is, and there might be a, a market for such a book." Right, and you give
1: an explanation of. Why? And I thought that was really good so that people maybe who are high IQ can kind of say, well, this kind of explains why I'm, I'm different or why I have a hard time in dating. I mean, you know, some of the, the people, your friends that you had discussed, they might be successful in their careers, but they weren't necessarily successful on an emotional level. And I think people who are high IQ, they do hold themselves to a higher standard. And I think that's a big thing. Now, let's talk a little bit about how do you take an IQ test? Are there different types? Can you do them online? I mean, you see those. What do you do?
2: Well, I mean, it, it, there's the official ones. that's called the, the WAIS, the, the Wechsler uh, Adult Intelligence Scale Test. That's what you would get tested on if you went to a national psychologist. That's the official test. You, Mensa would give you that test, and that's the test that you would take. Um, but then, obviously, with the Internet, I mean, and this is a long time ago. One of the more stab-just uh, online IQ tests is from a website called Queendom. You can just search Queendom IQ test. Uh, it, it's it's not it's not perfect it's online, but it's one of the more scientifically valid, like their methodology is good. But then you got to look out for these scam websites. Like I had a couple of buddies like, dude, i got an IQ of 182. I'm like, <laughs> wait a minute, I know you. You don't got no 182i test. What, what kind of... Shim sham sauce with the Alakazam type of test, and then it's like these—you you, know—everybody scores 181. It's five questions, and so obviously by by math, you know, there's no way you could score 181. So you got to look out for those those fake ones. But yeah, if you want a, a real a real IQ test, you have it professionally uh, conducted uh, by a psychologist. Um, I, I'm lazy. If you want a ballpark figure, I'd recommend a legitimate online IQ test, something that isn't a scam or has a bunch of ads on it. But right. but that's that's the main way to go and have yourself assessed.
1: And those are probably going to cost some money, whereas the scam ones are free. You see the ones on Facebook scrolling through your newsfeed, going, "Oh, check out your IQ, see how smart you are," and you go, "Well, wait a minute, what's the source and how did they define that?"
2: Right. The the thing I like about Queendom is they it's all online, so they've taken all the people that have taken it, uh, which is. Which is what you would do if you were, a you know an actuary or statistician, okay. and so they they average it and they have a standard deviation and all that. So so it's a good ballpark test like the ones that and you don't have to pay for it, uh, but yeah, if, if you don't have the money, that's one way to go. But if you really want it done professionally, you got to pay for it and, and have the WAIS uh, test uh, okay. done. Okay.
3: Well,
1: talk about what. Give me the standards for IQ. I mean, what is average? What's below average? What's you know, high – what's the bell curve? How, how do you – how does that happen?
2: Well, if if you harken back to your old high school statistics days, the mean or the average is 100. And they always base it to 100. So everybody takes the test. They say, okay, the average is this. Then they, they earmark it to 100. And then the standard deviation um, is 15. So uh, plus or minus one standard deviation. Uh, so you would have an IQ of 85 to an IQ of 115. 65% or 68, sorry, 68% of the population falls within that. Then you go two standard deviations, so now you're down to 70, IQ of 70 up to 130, mm-hmm. and that includes about 95% of the population. Okay. So if you're, if you're two standard deviations, even if you're one standard deviation, you're, you're, you're smarter than 70% of the population. Your two standard deviations, there's only two or three percent smarter than, heaven help you if you're three, or, you know, because then you're just. You know, there's, there's literally maybe a handful of thousands of people in the population of 300 million in the United States uh, that are at your level. Uh, So you really, uh, uh, exponentially so, become a a more statistically ostracized freak uh, the further down the the bell curve you go.
1: Okay. Now, in in an IQ test, can you describe what they might be asking? What kinds of questions? Is it questions? You know, is it the abstract pictures? What piece is missing from this puzzle? What's in an IQ test?
2: Yeah, there's some of that. There's math. There's reading comprehension. But then there's also... um, uh, spatial reasoning or spatial uh, testing like you watch some figures and there's a pattern and then you got to do that um, you know something is to this something is that it's kind of it kind of correlates a little bit like with the SAT or ACT test that you might have taken um, and then there's uh, uh, what else was there there's there's logic, uh, but if, if you've taken some kind of aptitude test, it's kind of those type of things that, that you probably endured in school.
1: Gotcha. All right. Now, I mentioned earlier, you know, one of my friends recently told me, oh, you know, how smart I was and, and quirky. Now, I know I had to do some type of testing when I was, I think, four because they put me in from a private kindergarten into first grade at, at I think, kindergarten. I think I was only five and you had to be six. So I was always like a year two year and a half ahead of everybody, which a lot of lot of people might think is good. I graduated earlier. However, from an emotional level, everybody was at least a year to a year and a half older than me. And it made it difficult for me in life to be a child having to deal with kids that were at a different emotional level than me. But when I read your book, you know, it almost, like I said, it felt like I, I almost felt like I was diagnosed. And so I have a high ethical standard. You know, I don't like liars, cheaters and thieves. And so I question, why doesn't everybody else see the big picture when it comes to certain issues? So I've often wondered if I just had average IQ, if life would just be easier. But after reading your book, I see that life really is easier for people with average IQ, and they don't seem to stress as easily over injustices or take the world to heart. So can you talk about some of the commonalities that high IQ people share?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there's the there's the ignorance is bliss. I mean, we can – we're high IQ people are a much better assessors of, of opportunities and threats. So, like, in my personal realm, you know, I'm an economist, what, what flummoxes me to this day is how people can't look at the national debt, and this is not complicated math, and say, like, how this isn't a problem. Like this, this is a crisis right here. Uh, so smarter people typically, they, they, can, they can take away the BS, they can see, they can remove the fog or the wool from their eyes, and critically assess any opportunities or threats. So this, this kind of, you, you get the mythical Cassandra, like you're trying to toll the, the warning bells and sound, the sirens, that we got to do something. But people are watching their shark week, or they're <laughs> uh, keeping up with the Kardashians, or right. oh gosh, Tom Brady threw for five touchdowns, isn't that, well, they just, they, so they get to live in this eternal bliss of ignorance that, that uh, the, the higher IQ people don't. Um, do you think – let, let me hmm. just ask
1: you real quick, though. Do you think like when it comes to national debt, do you think it's more that people are desensitized to it or is it more lower IQ it, or maybe both. both?
2: Both. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, you, you know, I don't know what's a good question, and I, I did this when I taught economics. Uh, your average IQ people, average, average call students, you say, all right, what's the difference between a million and a trillion? They don't know. They don't okay. know. So. You know, well, that's somebody's a millionaire. Yeah, that's because they're
1: doing common core, which if you've ever seen makes absolutely no sense, but okay.
2: Right. So it's it's a lot of ignorance. It's like, well the electricity is still on and the food is still being served and the milk is still fresh. What do I care? Oh, it's this nerdy economist policy wonk over there. They they really don't care to go beyond uh average because one, well they have no incentive and two, I don't they're not capable. They just don't have the intelligence. They don't ask why, they don't have the curiosity. So you know, the higher intelligence people will they will go down that rabbit hole. They will research. They will find out, and they say, "Oh my gosh, there's some dark demons over here." But uh, the, the the average people, the the normies, as as we call them, they, they what do they care? It's, it's a the electricity's still on. You're a crazy guy, or you're a conspiracy theorist, and you go away. So uh, it, it's those are kind of some of the differences is, is an indifference. Uh, but maybe even the lack of the ability to go in and, and become aware of these things or and a lack of incentive as well.
1: Do you think that high IQ people are more self-motivated?
2: I, I, there's been no study. I haven't seen any. So I can't say there hasn't been any study. I try to find a ton of studies. But I, I would say yes, maybe, um, typically because they make more, they achieve more. And then what percentage of that is because they're naturally gifted, You know, genetically have a higher IQ, uh, or how much of that comes from a, a work ethic, it's, it's really hard to say. But there are certainly lazy people who are unaccomplished that have a high IQ. So I think that's more of a, a realm of a, a, a moral question or morality uh, philosophical okay. principle to the individual. Then. But typically, high IQ people tend to do better. They tend to make more money, have longer life experience. So they, they generally, as a group, achieve more. Now, how much of that, again, is natural talent versus Determined work ethic, you know. I haven't seen any numbers for it.
1: Gotcha. Now I know you gave examples in your book, I believe, on you know, or, or in some of your articles, because I read all your blogs. Now, um, people who who watch sports and you talk about, you know, <laughs> you, do you want to talk about that? Why don't you talk about that? I thought that was well, interesting.
2: It's <laughs> a curiosity, but like I, I don't understand. This is, this is a way to tell if you got a higher IQ or maybe you ought to go and get it tested. If you can't understand while your friends are getting either angry and throwing things through a television or they're elated and they're on cloud nine because one team beat another team at swingy stick or sports ball or, or swoopy hoop uh, and, and it doesn't solve any – I mean, you should be, You know what we should have been excited about? We should have been excited about Brexit because there were some ramifications for the futures of, of, of future generations of people. But if if you get upset that your team, the Minnesota Twins or the Minnesota Vikings, didn't win or did win or beat the Packers or didn't beat the Packers, uh, if you're upset about that, chances are you, you ain't got a really high IQ. But if, if you're perplexed, you just don't understand why these people get so involved and in people that have nothing to do with their lives, they don't know who these people are, and they're wearing the jerseys of some other man with his name on the back, you might want to go and get your IQ tested because you're right. It, it's a good litmus test. There is no value to sports. Uh, I mean, there's entertainment value or perhaps watching the athleticism. Absolutely. That's kind of, you know, I enjoy a good game. Right. But to get emotionally involved, like you pin your, your value as a human being and your life, uh, whether or not Joe Maurer bats 300 or not, okay, th- if that's bothering you, yeah, you, chances are you, you might have an IQ of above, above 115.
1: Right. And see, I don't understand. I understand exactly what you said. I'm not into watching sports. First off, if I were to watch sports, I want to be in the sport. I want to be doing the sport. Right. But when you're affiliating right. with a group of people and you're, you're putting your life value on what others are doing... I sit here and go, okay, you're not a leader then, you're a follower. You're probably going to be stuck for the rest of your life working for somebody else and maybe you're happy with it. I guess, you know, maybe people are just happy doing that, you know, or the people that come home and so they've worked a long day and they just watch TV and I go, wow, you know, listen, years ago my my mother never watched TV. I mean, growing up my mom never watched TV and I thought, how could you not watch TV? When you're a kid you watch TV, you know, you Mm. find some good series. As i 've gotten older, I almost never watch TV okay I might I might, oh, yeah. I might get sucked into something you know I was sucked into Dexter or science fiction like Babylon Five you know, Game of Thrones I, you know once a week type of deal, but other than that, i don 't watch the news because it's entertainment value only i don 't really feel like I learn anything, and I like to learn, so I find that I read and I read probably three to four hours a night and i I've actually read that people most people don 't even read one book a year. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Well, I, I have to be guilty of the same thing because I hate reading. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a different maybe type of, you know, statistical weirdo. But I have to be outside. I have to be working on my motorcycle, driving around, running or something. I, I can't. Now, I, I read, you know, economics for a living. Uh, but, yeah, absolutely. And, and the reason you would – another way to tell, or, you know, maybe you're a little bit more intelligent, you'll, you'll figure out the number one important thing is other human beings. And so in your reading, you're reading other people's thoughts, uh, other people's opinions, you're getting their philosophy, so you may not be physically hanging out with them, but you are pursuing knowledge and interest. And in the, in the one thing that truly is uh, uh, not... Static or, or, or finite. You're, you're talking about the, the human intelligence, human philosophy. What does this person think about that? What does that person think about this? So reading and talking to people and debating and philosophizing and all that other good stuff, that's it. But yeah, if, if you're watching TV, and, and a, like you said, unless it's really highbrow, like, you know, in my, you know the, the latest Sherlock, or right. Black Books, or the IT crowd, I mean, where it's gut-bustingly funny, Victor Borga, Eddie Izzard level of funny. Sure, and this is not to, you know, different strokes of different folks. I'm not saying, you you know, if you watch the Cardassians, you're an evil person. But, yeah, it, it, it watching TV, the the average movie coming out today, uh, whatever form of media, it is just mind-numbing. And uh, it, it really will drive you, like, you know, into reading books, going to the library, right. or just having a good cup of coffee with a buddy.
1: Right, right, something that would be better for, for you. Well, don't go anywhere and hang on for just a second. We're going to take a quick commercial break.
3: Central Payment, your number one credit card merchant service provider in the industry. Providing e commerce solutions, POS systems, standalone terminals, mobile apps, and much more, call Central Payments James Carner at 813 777 4332. Looking for the lowest rates in the industry and number one customer service? Call Central Payments James Carner at 813 777 4332. That's James Carner 813 777 4332. Three, three, two.
0: Consumers. Do you have bad credit? Can't purchase a house or car? Paying too much in interest on your credit cards and loans? Scammed by credit repair companies? There is hope. You can get back on track and do it the right way. Call Credit Education Consultants today at 813-500-6064. That's 813-500-6064. Or go to crediteducationconsultants.com now and get the help you need. Don't delay. Call today. Mortgage reps and realtor inquiries are also welcomed.
1: And we're back on The World of Laurie Zook. I'm here with Aaron Clary, who wrote Curse of the High IQ. And Lee Clark in studio has got a question for you.
3: Well, Aaron, you you kind of uh, piqued my interest there because I was pondering recently this phenomenon of of, we have so many huge sports fans in this nation. And I know they're not all dumb because they can remember a a seemingly um, infinite amount of statistics about players and teams and whatnot. But um, what do you think is, is, is driving this obsession with sports? Any well,
2: uh, it, the, well, the obsession, actually, it's genetic and survivalistic and Darwinistic. Um, and, and I did some research a long time ago for a different book. And one of the more curious historical events was called the Nica Revolt. I think it's N-I-C-A. I'd have, I have to look it up. But this was in um, uh, the, the Eastern Roman Empire. And what ended up happening is you'd you'd have these chariot or gladiator battles, uh, and there was the blue team and the red team or the white team and the the orange team or whatever. You wore a sash. And what ended up happening is I think the blue team beat the green team, and what the uh, green team fans did in response was they revolted, and it resulted in a Nika revolt. I think like 50,000 people died or something. I have to check the figures. This is a huge revolt. The city, Constantinople, no, Nika, it was about to be uh, demolished and destroyed, the, uh, the king who was there at the time, he had to, like, leave, and, and, and he was about to leave, but then, um, uh, Princess Theodora, his wife at the time said, hey, you gotta do this, and you gotta fight. So it's an interesting historical example, but what's really interesting is the, uh, what it displays is this concept, or not concept, but this genetic thing of tribalism, and that is that there is safety in numbers. That's my team. I belong to these guys, and now we have loyalty and strength in numbers. And going back, you know, however many millions of years in evolution, having strength in numbers resulted in you surviving longer. You would have people covering your six. You could fight off the saber-toothed tigers if your tribe was bigger than the other tribe. You could fight them off if they tried to raid your village. So this tribalism, you see it today, and it, it parallels any kind of variable. Are you a Packers fan? What's your race? What's your religion? What's your sex? Um, and you will see people cheer, uh, cheer, uh, cheer for teen girl because, well, you know, she's a woman and da-da-da. Or, you know, your locker room talk, well, that's for guys. Or, oh, you know, you're not down with the cause. And it doesn't adhere to sanity, reason, or logic. It is a deeply ingrained psychological, instinctual desire for survival. Like, I got to belong to a team regardless of whether the beliefs of that team are rational or not, simply because it's a survivalist instinct. So now since we've kind of, with technology and capitalism and innovations, you know, we're not starving, we don't have to worry about raiding parties and stuff like that, it's still a genetic psychological holdover where you, you, you will unconsciously want to belong to a team. And so that's where the emotional aspect gets to it. But then as for some people who are, they can remember and cite the statistics, I, I would argue those people probably like the statistics, are really piqued about the history of, uh, of performance. And if you look at those guys who are kind of the statistical sports wonks, they probably don't cry or throw their their remote control through the flat screen TV if uh, the San Francisco Giants don't win.
1: Only at the Super Bowl.
2: Only Super Bowl. Well, haven't they even won? I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I didn't really pay attention. <laughs>
1: no, that's right. I meant the losing team. But,
3: Lee, you have another question? Yeah, I was just you know and it's funny cuz I could never figure out why I was always the odd man out at the high, uh, junior high football game. You know, sitting there. I I couldn't figure out why why do we hate the next town over? What's what's the what's the logical reason for right. this? Why do we want to crush them, kill them and berate them and belittle them? You know, and uh, yeah, I, I just
1: That's a man thing.
3: I don't well, think, I don't think got women a dairy do that. Queen
2: and we don't.
3: <laughs> uh Also, I was interested. um, I have a question. Uh, You must have seen the movie The Big Short. Yes. Did you see that? Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Great movie. I like it. It's fantastic. Right.
3: So so we have something in common so we can be uh, team members on that, I guess. Right. We can (laughs) be be on the big short team. But uh, when I saw your book was uh, you wrote it right during the bubble or 2008, right? Uh, Wrote it
2: before. It got oh. published the day Lehman Brothers collapsed. That, not to brag, that's how good I am as an economist. I was writing it a year before, and I even had to update my charts because everything was collapsing, mm. and I had to like, oh, we got to put this in. But yeah, I, I wrote the, the behind the housing crash. Correct.
3: Well, yeah, kudos to you. Hats off to you for uh, for recognizing uh, what was coming there. And uh, so, <laughs> did did you short any stock? Maybe not. Right? Not a lot of people no, took didn't... that move.
2: Well, I was a young kid, well, younger, I didn't have a ton of money. And if you want to short something, and you see it in the movie, like they short, but then the market remains irrational keeps going up, even though all the fundamentals are collapsing. And uh, that, that's kind of the scene where, um, what was it, Christian Bale had to say, I'm, I'm, ex- take, I'm executing my authority to deny you guys your refunds. Uh, that, that's what it is. The problem with shorting is prices can potentially go up to infinity, whereas um, a stock, if you own it, can only go down to zero. So there's potentially unlimited losses if you short, and I'm a very um, conservative and risk-averse investor, so I, I, I didn't short any of, them, of that.
1: Okay. Now, let, let's talk a little bit about envy. Have you experienced envy as a high-IQ person?
2: Do you attract? Yeah, yeah, envy? And it, yeah. yeah, definitely. In hindsight, you look back and you see, like, not to go all stereotypical, because it wasn't necessarily that, but, like, the bigger guys are the jocks. And not all the jocks. I had, I had some, you know, I'm a smaller, shorter guy. Uh, the bigger guys would pick on you. I remember one time I even highlighted in the book, um, someone was asking me, a topic of conversation came up, where I didn't know how many cans were in a case of beer. I'm a, I'm a senior in high school. I'm like, I don't know. I don't drink. I don't know how many cans are in a, a right. case of beer. And this sophomore guy, you know, he comes up. It's just just the epitome of Wisconsin trailer trash Says, huh, huh, it's 16 or 24. Even to this day, I don't know how many case beers are in a case of beer. Uh, it's he, not important. He like, shows you how much. Well, it's not important, right. But he's he thought like, oh, yeah, it shows you how much you know. It's like, well, yeah, I guess you won that one, Skippy. Okay, yeah, you go on to NASA and put a man on Mars. I. So, yeah, there's, there's envy, and, um, and it, it will happen when you're younger because I think people could get away with it, you know, on the playground or the teacher isn't watching, and, and you know, you can, you can get away with behavior as, as a minor. Uh, but um, t- today, less so uh, because, I mean, it, you always have envy through through government. People will tax you at higher rates because you make more money, you're more successful. Uh, but aside from that, nothing explicit. I think people have a, a cup of STFU, and they know they lost, uh, and then, you know, they go, they go work whatever job it is that they do. And, um, and, uh, but, yeah, in the end, I think people kind of get a little bit more humble uh, as, as the smarter people kind of find their way in life.
1: Now, do you find that being high IQ, you attract more people, more friends that are high IQ?
2: Well, yeah, especially so with the Internet. Um, that, that is almost like a lightning rod. You will find your peers. You will find your lost tribe on the Internet uh, for whatever obscure hobbies you might have. It could be, um, like, metalsmithing. I've gotten into, like, melting metals and metalsmithing. I found a whole different community out there. You might, like, uh, you know, crochet, whatever it is. You will find equally intelligent people online. And make some great friendships that inevitably, when you you know you go out and you actually meet these people in the real world. Uh, but yeah, but it, it's kind of sad without the internet. I mean, you go back to the 1890s or whatever. Um, unless you were rich or had a car and could travel a lot, you were stuck with that population of 500 people as your group of friends. And so, whether they were smart or not, too bad for you. If you're smart, those is that's who you get to marry. That's who you get to choose from. That's who you get to associate with, and that's who you get to do business with. But Today with the internet, you got seven billion people on the planet, and uh, oh, it's wonderful! I just just made some really great friendships and met some great friends on the internet.
1: Now I got to share with you. You're making me think. I got to share with you one of my pet peeves, and I'm sure mm-hmm. you'll relate to this: people who email or text. And they do one run, one long run-on sentence. There's no commas, no periods. It could be a full paragraph. <laughs> and not only that, but they they don't like. I like things spelled out correctly. I don't like you know the word you. Y o u is not you. You know what I mean? It, it, it's all in code. In other words, because it requires less work. And I think what happens a lot with younger kids is that's how they that's how they're writing their real stuff. Their their schoolwork is they're writing it in code because they're not really learning how to do it correctly. So. Do you find like, – to me, that's a big turnoff. When I see somebody writes like that, I go, oh, my God, like that, that's – it makes me think this is a dumb person. And it, maybe it's not, but it makes me – the presentation, the, the the cover on that book makes me think this person is
2: not too smart. Right. Well, I I don't know if I, – I, can, we, can we curse on this show or not? I don't want to get anybody in trouble.
1: Uh, well, Lee can bleep it out on this network, but on the other well, network, Well, no, no, no that's out. fine.
2: I, well, I, I run a company. I, I won't pronounce it, but it's called oh. A-Hole Consulting. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's spelled out the you know, the naughty way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I consult a lot of fans and, and, and readers and, and subscribers and all that, and I will get at least once a week a solid paragraph uh, that is. Two to three, one time, six pages long, no paragraphs, no indentation, no thought.
1: And they're probably writing their and, resumes
2: that way. Yeah, yeah, and they 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 have no no logic. It's like just give me your problem. Be succinct. That that totally escapes them. And I don't know if that's necessarily they're dumb uh, as much as I think maybe they got some ADD or or ADHD or whatever the various incarnation of it is today. Uh, but, yes, it, it, that I have ran into where it's not so much the fact that they write a, a, a full paragraph with no indentation. It's, it's the lack of organization and thought that's put into it. It's like you just vomited up this <laughs> with no consideration for the other person. How am I supposed to digest this? So that's, yeah, I, I don't know if There's it's intelligence, order. but it's cer- certainly annoying, yes.
1: Right. Now, what? What? give me some examples. What are the positives to high IQ versus the negatives? I know we've talked a little bit about it.
2: Well, overall, I mean, an IQ—you want to have a high IQ. Um, I, I, I didn't. A lot of number one complaint I get about this book is it's like a whining, complaining rant. Well, yes, yeah, why it's called the Curse of the High IQ, mm-hmm. because typically, and and all statistically, having a high IQ is a net benefit. You want to have a high IQ. You have longer life expectancies. You make more money. Uh, less divorce, a whole, uh, panoply of, uh, uh, socioeconomic, political, all these other different benefits, health benefits come with having a high IQ. Uh, but then, the, I guess what the book was trying to aim for is like, okay, we just assume if you're really smart, like I hate, I hate the phrase, well, he'll land on his feet. Because that means you just take out all the, the societal support of this individual because you just assume that guy or gal is smart enough to figure things out on their own. And that is a tortuous, albeit galvanizing and strengthening, journey. So it's the, it's the lack of um, acknowledging that, that highly intelligent people still have the drawbacks. So some of these drawbacks is you, you don't have as many friends. It's really hard to find someone to date or marry or court. Um, dealing with school is torture. I mean, you are stuck in with the inmates, and your teachers aren't even that smart. Uh, and then dealing with bosses, you got to realize bosses. The way you get promoted is not by being smart; it's by being a conformist. And people right. who conform just aren't smart. And so you will always ram heads with with a boss. And it, I wish, I wish someone came up to me. 20 years ago, I said, look, you're not going to be able to work for somebody else. You're just going to have to go down the route of self-employment. Whether you like it or not, that's what you're going to have to do. So there's there's a lot of uh, problems that come with having uh, not necessarily a high IQ, but being a statistical oddity. You don't get to benefit from the infrastructure and the uh, uh, economies to scale that society has been built around, because society is built around the majority, by, uh, around the average.
1: Now, from a science, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but from a scientific perspective, high IQ. I'm going to. I'm going to assume here that people who have high IQ think very differently than people who have average or lower IQ in the way they process their thoughts. Now, I can only tell you for me, you know, some people they can get right from point A to point B to solve a problem, but some problems. You just can't get from point A to point B. You have to look at, you know, you are a credit analyst and I'm a credit consultant, so you yeah. had to look at credit reports. You you have to. It, how can I explain it? There's a nuance to it. It's sort of. I always define it as it's like a Rubik's cube. All the colors are on one side. Your Rubik's cube is messed up, and now you got to work on it to try and get it back. As close as possible and how do you go about doing that and so there can be multiple thought processes in, in trying to bring a situation or whatever the problem is to, to resolve it in other words
2: well I would think the, the key difference that I've found is high IQ people don't let emotion get in the way of things uh, they, they are empiricists they want to solve the problem and so they don't like politics, emotions, yeah. or, or anything that isn't logical. They're very Spock-like, you know, very Vulcan-like. And so that's, and that allows you to be much more efficient uh, in your research or, or, what, or your goal or problem solving. Uh, whereas average people or average intelligence people, I've found that they get, like, I don't even have political debates anymore because it's pointless. I've, I've thrown up a billion charts and data. I've empirically pre- proven people wrong. And then they go to the, yeah, well, I just feel, or if they're particularly painted in a corner and I have them dead to rights, then I get accused of an ism. I'm either a racist or racism or sexism or misogynism or whatever. And it's like, do you care to solve this problem or not? Do you really want to close the wage gap between men and women? Well, let's tell women to stop majoring in fluffy bunny studies in English and let's have a major in chemical engineering. Oh, my gosh. And the feelings and the emotions that it's like, I'm trying to help women, you know, but... So it, that, that's the, the key difference I found with, with average and commoner uh, normie intelligence and those with high IQ, um, you know, is, is the high IQ people, they really want to solve the problem, they really care about re- what reality is, and maybe because we we're all nerds when we we're going up and we've just had emotion kicked out of us, we don't care anymore, I don't know if we don't have any hearts, but, but emotion and feelings don't really play a role when I'm trying to do work.
1: Gotcha. All right. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break. When we come back, though, I have a lot more questions for you, so stay with us. Cool. Bye.
0: Do you suffer from back, neck, or body pain? Do you suffer from migraines or have jaw or face pain? Has conventional medicine failed you? Were you injured or in an accident? Call chiropractic physician Dr. Dan Maddock at 813-935-1664. Dr. Dan has helped thousands of patients gain relief for more than 30 years. Dr. Dan is caring, gentle, and takes his time with each patient. He's also a past president of the International Craniopathic Society, a special certification of only 300 chiropractors worldwide. Dr. Dan helps patients from the neck up and the neck down. Dr. Dan accepts most insurance plans. Don't continue to live in pain. Call 813-935-1664 today. That's 813-935-1664. And get on track to better health.
1: And welcome back to the world of Lori Zook. My guest, Aaron Clary, wrote The Curse of the High IQ, as well as many other great books available on Amazon.com. Now, Aaron, you mentioned in your High IQ book that people pay for the mistakes of others in society. Can you give me some examples and what the reasoning is behind that?
2: The primary and the, the kind of the, the largest example would be uh, you, you have a welfare state, uh, not just in the U.S., but pretty much any Western nation where we more or less, uh, you pay for the mistakes of others, and we've seen it very literally uh, in the TARP bailouts where, okay, high IQ people who are trying to make wise investment decisions, sounding the tolls and alarms that, hey, there's a housing bubble. Well, we're bailing out idiots who made $30,000 a year as a hair salonist buying a $500,000 McMansion on a, on a six month arm. Uh, so there's that. But then also people, the number one thing is people who have children they can't afford. And, and I know it's not politically correct and this might hurt people's feelings, but it doesn't make it any less true. Less intelligent people breed more. And if you're less intelligent and you don't make that much money and you have more kids, well, you're not just crippling your life; you're also crippling the kids of you know, your your kids' lives and their futures. And so, we usually have to bail people out either through higher taxation in the form of EBT, uh, Medicaid, and all the other various you know, government programs out there. So, if you look at a, at a federal budget, and this is just federal; this has nothing to do with state. But if you look at the federal budget. You take out um, military, Department of Commerce, you know, actual things of governance where it's actually a government, and you look at what is basically taking money from, you know, Bob to pay Phil, uh, 70% of the money is, is income transfer. You're taking money from people who save their money or pay the taxes to give it to those who either don't work or didn't save up enough or, or whatever and need that money just to survive. So that's that's a, another yeah. uh, a tax, as you can say, that, that the high yeah.
1: IQ people pay. And it seems more like the middle class are paying more for the, the lower income than the people at at the high end. At least that, that's, that's why we have no middle class because they're bailing out, you know, the lower income people. But I did find that, you know, you call it breeding, procreation or breeding. And so I think mm-hmm. to myself, well, if I had met the person, you've met my other half, great guy, been with mm-hmm. him for seven years. If I would met him when I was younger, yeah, maybe we would have had kids and things would have been different. But... I've always questioned throughout my whole life having kids because it's such a huge commitment. And yet, I see you know people that are women or especially women who they use the system they get married they don 't get married they have multiple children with multiple fathers, and they don 't marry the guy and he lives with them, which of course he 's not supposed to do and yet these women will collect welfare and whatever other subsidies food stamps that they can get and in a lot of cases they 're making a lot of money, whereas other people are actually going to work and maybe they 're in the middle class and they 're not making a high income, but that 's what 's subsidizing the breeders.
2: Right. Well, and, and keep in mind, these people aren't stupid either. I mean, just because you don't have an IQ of one hundred thirty or oh right, you know, right, right, you know, they're they're not dumb. I mean, if you pay people, well, you're actually an idiot not to take the money. I mean, I remember I, I lived in in Wyoming for a year, uh, and I lived in a town called Casper. It's the largest town. And the Toronto County High School. uh, Now, you know, this is just what they said. I'd I'd have to go and double confirm. Uh, But half the girls there are pregnant by the time they they graduate from high school, and there's no husband around. It's just a given that you take the money. I mean, yeah, it's. And and but you're right, absolutely. Then you, me, and everybody's probably listening. We got to go in and work that extra hour per week to go and pay for you know these type what are genuinely mistakes the genuinely mistakes but you know that that's that's you know another drawback of being a high iq person is that you're the eagle surrounded by the turkeys when it comes to democracy and people have decided we're going to vote this in and since we're not the majority you know we got to play by the rules that are that are put on so that includes paying whatever the taxes are and whatever the the uh, uh, expenditures, you know, it's not just the taxes, but what that money is spent on as well, and, right. and that's what we have to abide by.
1: Right, it's the banging your head on the wall syndrome. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's how I look at it. You know, one of the other things I want to talk about too, because I volunteer for a long uh, for an organization for for many many years, and I sit here and I go. Why don't most people volunteer or why don't most people seem to know what their purpose is or develop a purpose in life? Because I've pretty much always been self-motivated. You know, you know I can do several things. I have several hobbies. I don't really watch TV. But one of my pet peeves – and you're on my Facebook page, so watch out. Sometimes I post these um, bizarre posts to just see what the reaction of people is because you'll have people that live on Facebook all day long. They post selfies all day long, pictures of their food, you know, where they're at. They're checking in. They're letting you know exactly. I'm thinking, boy, if I were a burglar, I'd go rob their house because I'm going to know when they're away, you know. But they do this on their employer's time. And so I don't know if that's a low self-esteem, like look at me, I'm important scenario. I don't know if that's IQ related or if it's some type of a neediness. But I sit here and go, why do people, you know, do I post occasionally? Sure. Do I have pages for, for the radio show? Sure. Do I like to have friends and check up? and, you know, maybe once, once or twice a day do a brief look through and see. Sure. But am I on there all day long posting stuff, you know, constantly, and I go, what's wrong? And how are you – you have no motivation in life to do anything.
2: Well, it's, a, it's the difference between attention and agency. I mean, everybody likes attention. Um, but agency, that's where, you know, you, the higher intelligent people are going to say, okay, why am I here? What's my point and purpose? Whereas I'd say average intelligence people, they don't care. They just want attention. They want survival. They want their their entertainment, and they want to watch their swingy stick. And so when you're on Facebook or social media, hey, look at me, give me attention and validate that, that's enough for them. But if you start to think a little bit further, like, okay, what is the point and purpose in life? Why am I here? Uh, that's why you're probably volunteering, because inevitably, if you, if you were to think through the logic, like, well, you want to help out your fellow man. Uh, you don't want to have your life be pointless you didn't want to just exist suck up some air and and turn into right food right and so you you want to leave a a legacy or at (laughs) least improve the human race in whatever capacity you can and i I, frankly the higher intelligent you are the more you're going to stick around along those lines but the less intelligent you are you're going to be more like oh you know what's paris hilton doing today or oh geez i can put this (laughs) look at the food i made and look everybody be jealous of me because i'm on a beach in florida type of thing that's like so, a yeah, narcissist that, really the difference.
1: Yeah, it's like a narcissistic type type of thing to me.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Yeah. But one of the things you talked about in your book was education. So in most schools, kids are you know, and they're in a classroom all day, they're grouped there by age rather than ability. So what happens to high IQ kids in school and how do you think the system could potentially be changed? Oh, <laughs> and, and, and
2: the, whole radio su- um, the loaded
1: question yes
2: <laughs> yeah you basically you just suffer for 13 years and 17 years if you go to college i mean school just sucks for really intelligent kids you're stuck in there with the inmates you uh if you're not a big person you're going to have to fight uh it it just it just sucks you're you and and what's worse is the confusion as as a seven-year-old kid you don't know why you're having these problems you don't know why your teacher can't answer these questions because they're the teacher they're smart they're the adults and it's not until unfortunately you graduate do you realize teachers are quite uh, actually education majors have some of the lowest iqs of all the different types of degrees and majors so we have unfortunately our least intelligent people uh educating our uh students <laughs> so yeah so there's that problem there and What I would do to change it, I'd I'd scrap it. I'd scrap the entire system. I'd come up with more of a meritocracy-based thing, like you pass these tests. We don't care what your age is. Right. Um, I try to outsource as much of it, like you could do online stuff. Um, I'm not a big homeschooling guy, but that's better than what we got now. I really haven't thought up of a system, but... Yeah, somewhere I'd also probably go with a voucher system like, okay, the government is not running the schools. We're going to privatize it because they do it better and cheaper than the public sector can. But we are going to pay you so that you can, you know, you have a kid, you get a stipend, you get a voucher every year. But, yeah, it, what, what I would do to, to really help out all people, regardless of your intelligence, is base it on merit, like base it on how intelligent are you. How much work ethic are you going to put into it? You know, if you could graduate by the age of twelve, fine. You could graduate by the age of twelve, but anchoring the intelligent with not just average, but the the troublemakers and the stupid uh, or, or the mentally impaired, uh, not 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 as a. Pejorative, but just those who are lower. Inte- you you end up sacrificing so much because you're playing to the lowest common denominator, right? And uh, that that just that just harms and hurts uh, the, the education of some some true geniuses that then they don't even know the geniuses.
1: Yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I mean, you also mentioned in your in your book that schools look more like prisons, and I thought, my God, he's right. They do. They and and you're right. Everybody's a conformist. It's they're training them as conformists so that when they get to work, they're conforming again.
2: Right. I mean, well, that's that's the original. uh, That's how the system was built in the 1850s. But, yeah, if you drive around, unless they're really new, you go drive around and look at any school and it looks like a prison. It looks like this minimalist 1960s drab nothingness. And, yeah, there's no windows. There's no nothing. It's not just a mental prison. It might actually be a physical prison as well.
1: Yeah. How does the U.S. education system compare with other countries?
2: uh not too well uh especially given what we spend per pupil i mean we blow i think i'd have to look at the numbers again but we're up there we're like in the top 5 of per pupil spending and our kids uh, on the pisa uh, p i s a uh, these are the international standardized tests uh we we get regularly trounced by the asians uh by the scandinavians the norwegians um the swiss um not so much uh, Southern Europe, uh, but given the amount of money we spend, we are totally not getting our bang for our buck. I think I think Mexico was about the only country that was significantly worse uh, based on what percentage of the GDP they spend on education. But, yeah, we we, um, we, we fail in math and sciences uh, language. I'm not a big fan of languages. But we're actually quite average in that. But we are just we're we're miserable failures when it comes to tests. But now, all that being said, we, we do have a lot of creative people. So I wish they would actually put in a creative uh, creativity component to that score. Uh, but but uh, right now it's just math and math and reading.
1: Yeah, that's hard. I come from a music and art family, and now most schools have dropped that out of the system, which is a shame mm-hmm. because that's the creative process. You know the other thing you mentioned also kids are also given are, are often given drugs because they 're different or don't conform, and so you know I, i've known people say, "Well you know my kid has a d h d and they 're on Ritalin or they're on prozac or they're on some drug and i'm thinking, my God, like fifty percent of kids have a d h d if you want to qualify it as that so half the pe- half the kids are on drugs I, so I sit here and go, maybe the kids just aren 't focused maybe they don't have parents who are who are really teaching them, and they're expecting that, hey, they go to school and the school's responsible, when in reality, it's the parent that sets the moral and ethical standards for, for how that child's going to live. So if they're living at home in, in a wild family, and then they go to school and they're going to conform, well, then the school's going to say, hey, your kid's out of control.
2: Well, it, it, it's, it's, I f- we're, we're totally failing our kids. I don't mean to sound like a politician, but we are. And I don't mean this in the in – because the, poli- the politicians say we're not spending enough money. You have parents that are outsourcing their kids to daycare. They have kids because they want to have kids. They don't want to raise the kids. They don't want to be with the kids. they got careers that they got to go do, and to heck with it, ship that kid out to daycare, outsource them, and thank God that kid turned five years old because now I could go pursue my master's or whatever it is. So you have a parent class that just really didn't care to have kids. That's basically what it boils down to then you have teachers that really aren't there to educate the kids either. They're there cuz they get 3 months a of year off. They want a lazy easy career and so they end up becoming teachers. And then what ends up happening is you get these kids and they're sent I mean they really are sent to a mental prison. And if if you go into a hostile environment, a way to survive is you shut down and you conserve your energy. It, it's kind of like starving. You sleep you, you don't expend your efforts and energies. If you were like me, you did your homework, you know, on the bus, on the way to school, and you did a really crappy job of it just to get your C-, minus, to get your parents off your rear and get your teacher in just to pass you. And so these kids are, by their time, you know, kindergarten's kind of fun. First grade, uh, but by the time you're in the third grade, uh, these, any intelligent kid is going to be shut down. They will go into a catatonic kind of comatose state. And you could have the greatest teacher in the fourth grade who's, you know, very funny and entertaining and great, and he or she knows this stuff. It's too late. The kid is checked out mentally. They're too beleaguered. They're too tired. They have no energy anymore to learn. And that, that's where you truly lose uh, uh, not just all the students, but you're, you're highly intelligent as well. That also creates the odd or ironic phenomenon where you have a high IQ kid, but they're getting D's and C's because... They're they're just not intellectually challenged enough. They're just like, oh, I don't right. care. I just want to go home and fall asleep.
1: Right. I gotcha. I've got. A, we're gonna to have to do a second show because I got a lot more questions for you <laughs> that that, okay. that we didn't get to cover. We got about a minute, so real quickly, can you give me a name your other books? And I know you can get them on Amazon.com.
2: Yeah. You, there's uh, Bachelor Pad Economics. There's uh, Behind the Housing Crash. There's Worthless. The Young Person's Indispensable Guide to Choosing the Right Major. There's The Black Man's Guide Out of Poverty for Black Men Who Demand Better, uh, Curse of the High IQ, and then my uh, newest one coming out here in about two weeks or so is called Reconnaissance Man.
1: Great. And if people want to get a hold of you, how can they do that?
2: The best place, go to captaincapitalism.blogspot.com. I have all my links to my YouTube and Facebook and A-Hole Consulting and all the other social media. But that's kind of like the, the mothership or flagship uh, site is captaincapitalism.blogspot.com.
1: Great. Thank you very, very much for joining me today.
2: Well, thank you for having me, Lori. I appreciate it.
1: Great. We'll do a part two. And thank you for joining us. And stay tuned for next week. Be safe.